Well, good morning. If you'd like to take your seats, we're going to make a start in the Word of God. If I've not met you, my name's Andy. I lead City Church. I lead the team that leads City Church. And uh, we are preaching through the book of Haggai, to which everyone looks slightly blank. What? Where even is that? Well, if you start, the easiest way to find it, if you've got like a conventional Bible, remember these? Um, is if you start at Matthew and work the other way, work backwards, and then you'll find it quite quickly. Otherwise, you're just going to be hunting around or doing what everyone embarrassingly does at this point, is look at the index. Oh, my goodness. Shocker. That's legit. You can do that if you like. Or you just look it up on your app and find it that way. So Haggai. Haggai is a minor prophet. There are 12 minor prophets in the Bible. What's a minor prophet? Uh, Well, a minor prophet, it sounds a bit derogatory, doesn't it? But a minor prophet is not a minor prophet because what they said is less important than a major prophet. A minor prophet is a minor prophet because of literally the volume of work that they produced or the prophecies that they gave. Quite literally, the number of pages in the Bible if it's short, it's a minor prophet. If it's longer, it's a, a major prophet. And so Haggai is a minor prophet. There are two chapters in Haggai. And this is the time of the return of exiles from Babylon to Jerusalem. And um, there's a couple of things it's worth knowing about reading the Old Testament before we, before we read this passage. Um, Nick's laughing at me because he knows why I'm delaying reading the passage. It's, it's a bit obscure, guys. So I hope we're going to be okay with this. But um, a couple of things is worth thinking about when we read the Old Testament. Firstly, is that these people related to God in a different way to the way you and I relate to God. Because they, their covenant, their relationship, the nature of man and woman's relationship to God was different in the Old Testament. And the Bible calls that, and theologians call that, the Old Covenant. There was a different way that people got close to God. And that way was through laws and rules and a sacrificial system. And people had to do that if they wanted to be part of God's family and God's kingdom. And it was hard. It was incredibly hard. It was, I would say, borderline impossible for them to do it. And we're going to find out some of those laws as we read through this passage. So that was the first thing. We have now a new type of relationship. Since Jesus uh, came, lived and died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, we have a different way. Mankind, human beings have a different way of relating to God. Thank goodness. Thank the Lord. Quite literally, thank the Lord. It's a new covenant. It's a new a covenant is a, a, a serious relationship. It is a, a somber and serious way to go about relating one to another. Some people, we call marriage a covenant relationship. It's a, a serious promises. We did a wedding last week. People making serious promises in front of God, in front of their friends and family, and that's called a covenant. And this is a new way of relating to God. So some of the things that we read about, like what's that got to do with me? Well, hopefully we'll see some of what it's got to do with us as we go through. The second thing it's worth just knowing as we read some Old Testament passages is this, that pretty much the story is focused inside one nation, the Jewish nation. And so it's worth remembering that as well. And and along with that comes all of their traditions and culture as well. When Jesus came and as the disciples and the apostles started to preach beyond uh, Jerusalem and out into the wider world, um, 
the, the relationship with God broke out into all nations. And actually, that was always the promise. That was always the promise. Way, remember Abraham? Way back when God promised Abraham something, he said, You're, the blessing I'm going to give you is not just for you. It's never just going to be for you. It's going to be for every nation on the planet. And that didn't really happen until Jesus came and that, uh, that new way of relating to God broke out, which is why we're all here from every kind of different culture, all kinds of cultures and histories and backgrounds because of Jesus. So hopefully that's helpful. Uh, so if you found Haggai chapter two by now, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure it's going to appear behind me today, but anyway, we're all getting into reading it. So chapter two, starting at verse 10. On the 24th day, of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some uh, bread or stew, some wine, or olive oil, or other foods, does it become concentrated, consecrated? Does it become holy? And the priest said, no, it doesn't work that way, because they knew the Levitical law, they knew the law that they lived by. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. And that was part of their law. That if you touch something that was dead, if you touch a dead body, you carried death in your body. You, you were marked by death. And then anything you touched until you had become ceremonially clean, that thing also would become defiled. And so that they knew the law, and that's what they're having this little conversation with Haggai about. Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer here is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day. Consider how things were before one stone was laid upon another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. And when one went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the works of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. From this day, from this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thoughts to the day when the foundation stone of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn? Until now the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of, governor of Judah, that I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers, horses and their riders will fall, each by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I'll, I'll make you like my signet ring, for I've chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. I told you. <laughs> so let's pray, shall we? That'd be a helpful thing to do right now. Father, we thank you that all of your word is God-breathed, that it's breathed out by God, and it's here to help us. And we pray, Holy Spirit, come upon us as we listen to your word. Come in and help us into our minds and our hearts. Uh, Lord, we want to be shaped by your word, even when it's a bit obscure. Help us to see what was happening, what were you doing, and what do we learn from it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is 70 years after the Israelites have been exiled. So for a long, long time, they lived in the promised land. Do you remember that? Was Moses led them to the promised land? Do you remember those stories 
and they lived in the promised land for many years, but they kept on rebelling against God. They kept on breaking that old promise, that old covenant, this serious promise they made with God. They kept breaking it, and so God disciplined them. And often that discipline was in the form of crops failing, and we read that in this passage, don't we? Things didn't go well for them, and the reason they didn't go well was, well was what? Just to, just to tell them off? No, it was to draw them back to, to reliance on God again. And that was a cycle that we'll see again and again in the Old Testament. This is 70 years after that. And now, miraculously and wonderfully and just uh, graciously, God is bringing them back to Jerusalem, the, the mother city, as it were. And in Jerusalem, even more important than the city was the temple. And if you remember, Ash preached about the temple a few weeks ago, and he was reminding us the importance of the temple as the, 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 the building which housed the presence of God. They were to be the people of the presence of God. And God actually dwelt in a temple. He came came upon the temple. He was actually there. And and here is where we have a a, a good parallel with us. God is with us too. God says, I'll never leave you. We don't have to go to a building. We don't have to come to a school. We certainly don't have to go to a church building or a temple. God says, I'll come and live in you. But this was so important for this Old Testament people, these uh, th- these Israelites, they needed to learn this. And what had happened as they came back to rebuild their broken city, which 70 years before had been ransacked by the Babylonians. By the way, it wasn't the Babylonians in charge anymore. More complicated. The Persians have now taken over. The Persians now rule the world. And they have a different system for looking after all these disparate people groups. So it seems as if the Babylonians was get them all to Babylon. And the Persians are like, now let's send, send them all back to where they came from. Let's do that. That's the way to look after, or that's the way to manage all of these people. And and again, we learn something here. Because from a history perspective, what we would think is, this is just a different geopolitical position right now. It's just, all they're doing is, they're just uh, rearranging the people politically. It's just just a, a helpful way of looking after people. That's all that's happening right now. But the Bible clearly puts God at the heart of everything. And so this isn't just a movement of people around the world. It's not just the Persians think it would be more convenient to send them back. But actually, this is God moving his people around. This is God at work. And God always puts himself at the heart, and the Bible does it too, at the heart of history. Now, this should give us real confidence as we look at the world around us. It should. And actually, you read about the the workings of God in the return of the people to Jerusalem in Nehemiah and Ezra. You read about the, 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 what actually happened to get them back. You find out what God was doing. Whereas if you looked at it from a historic perspective, you just think, oh, they were just putting people back where they came from. There's two ways of looking at the world. There's a way to think that God's at the heart. And what is God doing? Well, we know what God's doing because he tells us what he's doing in passages like this. God is saying, my kingdom first. My kingdom first. Because I want to bring about blessing to every nation. And when... The Israelites, and at this point they did it again. When they forget that that's what God is doing, things go wrong and things get out of perspective and they get lost often. Sometimes they actually get lost. But here we find that they were distracted in the rebuilding of Jerusalem. They got distracted by building their own houses. And it says, uh, the the sort of famous uh, passage is this, that you're busy with your panelled houses. And that's a kind of a, it's, it's like a, a metaphor. It's a picture of, you, you know, you're spending a lot of time on your own houses. You're, you're, you're cutting trees down. You're making nice wooden panels. And what are they doing? 
they are forgetting the temple of God. They're forgetting the temple of God. And we can say, well, so what? It's just a building. Who cares? Just, who cares? It's just religious claptrap. Which we, people are moving, and now we're worried about a building. Well, of course, we know there's more to the story even than that, don't we? Because this building, this temple, as Ash reminded us a few weeks ago, has two important roles. <laughs> Firstly, it is a symbol of, God, of, of the people's reliance on God as creator, as helper, and provider. There it is in the middle of their city, and they, all, all their life revolves around this temple. It, it's a symbol of, of, uh, and a reminder of that to them. They've neglected to rebuild it, remember? But that's the symbol. That's where God is at the center of the community. And the second and much more important thing is the actual house of God. God actually lives in this house. He really presents himself here. And we know some of the stories of the New Testament where people gathered to the temple. And of course, we know this, the great story where Jesus dies on a cross and this holy of holies, this special place, even in the heart of the temple where God dwelt. And there was the Ark of the Covenant with its golden wings of angels across this golden box there in the, in the center of the temple. God dwelt in there and then the curtain is torn in two when Jesus dies. And what does it symbolize? The presence of God is now with the people. The presence of God breaks out from this, oh my goodness, it would be equivalent to a, I don't know, a priest running naked down the street. It was shocking. It was utterly shocking. You can't go in there. And suddenly God breaks out. Now here, let's spool back to this story. They neglected all of that because they were busy with their own houses. They neglected the importance of the presence of God in the heart of the community the symbol and the reality of it. And that they'd made these mistakes and they had to learn this and they were yet to learn this, that your faith and your faithfulness isn't just about you and your life. Here's another parallel for us. Your faith and your faithfulness, it's not just about you. It's not just that it would go well with you. It's not just that you would feel okay about the world around you as chaotic as it might seem because you are part of something bigger when you belong to God. You're part of God's kingdom. And his kingdom is not just for you. His kingdom is at the very least is for your children's children's children. Imagine that you are planning something for your children's children's children. It might be a little bit confusing for your, those around you right now because those plans are for distant future. It'd be hard to understand. Why would you make, you know, what the plans that you'd make now to bless them would be quite confusing for people around you. And of course, that's the way it often is in the Bible. God is planning things for generations ahead. And he's saying, be faithful. Be faithful in your day because I'm planning something greater to come. That's true for them. It's also true for us. And we'll come back to that as well. So they've neglected the presence of God. They've neglected the temple of God. And in such a short time, they've repeated the error of their own ancestors, which was to do exactly the same thing. And actually, it says that the reason they were uh, put out of their promised land of Canaan was because of that. And it actually uses this language. It says, the land will vomit you out. It's revolting, isn't it? It's going to spit you out. Why? Because they neglected the presence of God. And here they are, graciously, gloriously, miraculously returned from Babylon, from exile to them. And they're doing it again just a few years later. The same, the same error. The same thing is happening again. And, and Haggai is not 
uh, he's not satisfied with just explaining that for them just to know it he uses an example and this is where we get to this kind of obscure example from the law so Haggai gathers a couple of priests together priests would have been uh, they, their whole life would have been about the Levitical law this detailed law of sacrifice of living of washing and cleaning and coming and going and what food you could put with other food what clothes you could wear a whole thing and he gathers these two priests together and he says this he says look if you touch a dead body and you become ceremonially impure um, if you touch some some food whilst you're ceremonially impure what happens to the food and they're like well that becomes you have to destroy it because you've been marked by death and now that's marked by death too and he says yeah that's what happens and what he's saying as he draws this parallel with what's happening with the people as he says this, he says, look, because you've rejected God, whatever you do is impure. And even to this point, and this is incredible, even if you build something holy, even if you were to build the temple right now, because your hearts are far from me, the temple itself would be impure. Even if you build something holy, the holy thing would become unholy simply because of your heart's condition before God. Now here's the thing, God's not changed. We have a different way of relating to God, but God hasn't changed. What do we learn about that? What, what, what on earth does the Levitical law about touching a dead thing have to do with us? Well, this is what it has to do with us. God is holy, still. He hasn't changed. He's holy, he's pure, he is righteous. He's, he's other than us, which is what holiness means. It means he's not like you, not like me. He's not like a shiny version of the best person you know. He's not a superhero. He is God Almighty. And he dwells in inapproachable light. And my goodness, what, how on earth do we deal with that? Well, well, we'll come to it. But the way they were to deal with it was that through a system of laws and rules, they had to keep separate from God. The temple was so important, but God hasn't changed. He's not changed, he's the same God. And it's sobering, and it should be sobering for us as believers. God is holy. How on earth are we going to get close to him? The other thing that they had done was they'd, they'd become so self-sufficient. They'd forgotten the holiness of God. They'd forgotten the importance of it. And they, it seems as if they were just happy with their lives. But they're also becoming self-reliant. And that's something that we also need to learn about self-reliance. Self-reliance has two possible outcomes you think I'm just going to rely on myself and my own goodness or my own ingenuity to get through life two outcomes if you do well pride can well up if you think it's going well for you then you become pride you become proud and pride was the first sin and it's kind of the father of sins really and it will destroy us from the inside and if maybe more likely it doesn't go so well, this self-reliance doesn't produce the results that you hope. And if you're trying to self-reliantly get close to God, you're going to find it comes unstuck pretty quick. And because the, the other side is despair. It's not gone well and it's all my fault. And suddenly I find myself just full of despair, just lost. And the other way, of course, is coming through Jesus, but we'll come to that as well. So God is holy. We need to approach him the way, uh, we, in, in, in a similar idea that they had, 
In other words, they, they couldn't get close to God either. We can't get close to God on our own. They couldn't get close to God on their own. They relied on our laws and rules. We need to rely on something else. You see, the struggle for holiness and justice is the heart of all human struggle. They shared it with us. We share it with them. In this particular case, it was laziness and selfishness and injustice, busy with their own houses that kept them from him. And here's even more as we recognize the holiness of God. They're even physically in the right place. They're in the right place. They're in Jerusalem. They're right there. The temple, the ruins of the temple are right there. They're so, they're so close to God, and yet their hearts are far from God. And we find that with ourselves too sometimes, don't we? There's a repeat refrain that we find in Isaiah and Ezekiel, and Jesus repeats it in Matthew 15, and it's this. I'll read it from Matthew 15. These people come near to me with their mouths and honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their hearts are far from me. And they worship me based just on rules that they've been taught, and yet their hearts aren't for me. And that, that was their challenge, and it can be ours too. And this back and forth, this back and forth of... Uh, the, the Israelites that went through for generations became the unhappy rhythm of the, of the centuries really for them. And of course we said that's why they were ultimately kicked out of the nation and now they're back in Jerusalem but they're still struggling to worship him. It's why God withheld his blessing from them from time to time. We read that in the passage too, don't we? What we the next thing we find and, and this is really where I think we need to begin to apply things to us is Haggai three times in this passage says this he says give careful thought give careful thought and for them it was give careful thought to the connection between your behaviour and the blessing of God if you just did what you were told if you fulfilled the law then blessing would come it's as simple as that Israelites, it's as simple as that. Give careful thought, you're not thinking clearly. But there's a principle here for us too. And we pick up that principle in 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 is a book written to believers like you and I, struggling throughout the world. And he says this in verse 13. He says, prepare your minds for action. Give careful thought. I think that our culture gives scant thought and dresses it up as serious thought <laughs> and then tweets about it <laughs> i think that's how i think that's often how things go and we can get caught up in that as well as if everything that could be said about something is said in 200 and whatever characters it is it's just we're not giving careful thought and christians we can get caught up in that we get caught up in the polarization of our of our world very easily we need to give careful thought to how we behave and how we think. But what we give careful thought to is not going to be what they gave. Don't give careful thought to the law um, because that's not how we relate to God. You see, and in this passage that, where Peter writes, he says, give careful thought to, to your, or be, therefore prepare your minds for action, be sober-minded. He says, set your mind fully on the grace of God which is revealed through Jesus Christ. Give careful thought to the grace of God. And here's where the two stories come together, where the old and the new come together. They were to give careful thought to their actions, to the law, 
we are to give careful thought to the grace of God. And there's the two. There's the one way of relating to God and another way of relating to God. So much better, so much more releasing because it's grace, unmerited favour. Grace was coming in the Old Testament. Their faithfulness to the law would ultimately bring about Jesus. Their faithfulness to that way of relating to the things they had to do to God in the temple was to bring Jesus to the world, was to bring that Abraham's blessing to the whole, whole earth. Every nation would be blessed. And ours is not so dissimilar. Our faith and faithfulness too will bring blessing way beyond ourselves. Their God-centered living was needed to bring grace. Zerubbabel, who was leading the nation at the time, was in the line of David. And from the line of David would come Jesus. And through Jesus would come this new covenant way of relating to the Father. The principle stands. Don't get, we don't get close to God through rituals and laws. We don't get right just that way. But our faithfulness, which we're to give careful thought to, will secure blessing for those yet to come for Christ. They had to understand it's God's kingdom at stake. We need to understand it's God's kingdom at stake. When we live faithfully, it makes a difference to those who will look in and see what God is doing amongst us. So three things as we finish. Three things to give careful thought to that come from this story go out into the world which desperately needs the presence of God carrying in your body the spirit of God for them it was in a temple the, the make or break for the nation was God's, the recognition of God was amongst them and now God says what? He says I'll pour up my spirit on all flesh not in a temple but in your body you says the Bible are a temple of the Holy Spirit that serious center of all life in the Old Testament is not a building, not a temple, it's you and I. I'll come and live in you. I'll come and give you my presence. Take that presence into the world with confidence, with authority, with a sense of faith that God is working through you. Give careful thought to that. Think about it. We're so easily distracted like they were. So easily distracted. You carry the presence of God with you everywhere you go. It's an astonishing promise of God. Absolutely astonishing. Jesus said, I'll go with you. I'll never leave you. And, and he sent his Holy Spirit. Absolutely astonishing. Give careful. If you're not astonished by it, give careful thought to it. Give careful thought to it. Just as Haggai said to his people. That's the first thing. Second thing, a fearfully righteous God has made you righteous as a gift. God's not changed. He is holy and fearful and terrible in the right sense. And yet through Jesus, he gives you his righteousness, gives it to you. The word in the Bible uses imputed. There's a difference between imputed and imparted. I used to be a teacher. I tried to impart information to my, the children in my class. In other words, I'm trying to teach them stuff. At the end of the day, maybe, I don't know how much, how much I've imparted to them. 5% of what I've tried to, maybe, maybe less than that, not very much. Imputed is like a download from the internet. Bam, the whole thing, instant, complete. Everything. It'd be great if you could teach like that. 
That's how righteousness comes to you. It comes to you like that because of Jesus. Whole, complete, absolute, final. No, nothing's forgotten, nothing's left out. There's no dark corner. It's complete. Give careful thought to that. Give careful thought to that. You've been made righteous as a gift. Jesus' life for yours. Do you know what? Communion helps us give careful thought to that. That's what it's for. So when we take bread and juice or wine, whatever it is in the, in the cups today, we, it's, it's there to give careful thought to the fact that righteousness is yours as a gift. It's supposed to lift your head. It's supposed to make you see those around you in completely different light. That's why the Bible says when you come to the communion table, make sure you, 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 you've forgiven anyone because you're coming to a forgiveness feast. That would be madness, wouldn't it? It would be madness to come to a forgiveness feast and hold stuff, unforgiveness against other people. That would be nuts. That wouldn't make any sense at all. It would be hypocrisy, wouldn't it? So when we do that, we come realising what this is. But we give careful thought to what it's done in us. I'm, f- I'm free. It's done. It's complete. Give careful thought to this. And then the third and final thing is this. Your faithfulness to God and the working of justice uh, by God's people is not just about you. That's what those, the Old Testament people needed to learn. It's, it's, not, it's not just, oh, I'm just telling you, build the temple. You know, it's like, oh, oh, come on, it's just a building. No, it was about God's kingdom. And God's kingdom was to go from place to place to place to place. It was to bring Jesus to us. God in you, the kingdom of God that you're part of is not just for you. It's not just for you. It's for those who will come. It's for a city full of people who don't yet know Jesus. It's for people far from him. It's a demonstration of who God is beyond your own life, way beyond your own life. And again, a massive privilege. You get to be part of a kingdom that will what? Never perish, spoil or fade. Everything else that you do and even the very bones that you are one day will be gone completely. Gone. But God's kingdom remains. You get to be part of this. Give careful thought to that. How you live will, will be determined by how you regard God's kingdom in you. Let's just read that passage again from 1 Peter. I'm going to read it from a different version of the Bible because it will help us sometimes <laughs> to understand it. This is called J.B. Phillips who writes a version of the New Testament which kind of fleshes out at the, the Bible, I don't think I would read this as a study, but actually it helps us understand a bit more. So 1 Peter 1, again, this instruction that kind of sums up this passage for us. So brace your minds. And as men and women who know what they are doing, rest the weight of your hopes fully on the grace that will be yours when Jesus Christ is revealed. Is revealed. Live as obedient children before God, Don't let your character be moulded by your desires, the desires of your ignorant days, but be holy in every department of your lives. The one who has called you to himself is holy. The scripture says, be holy, for I am holy. Father, we do pray, help us, even in this rather obscure passage, to see both the importance of your holiness, the incredible grace that was revealed through Jesus, the wonder of our salvation, and the part we get to play in your great kingdom advance. Help us to understand these things in Jesus' name. Amen.